Most of us have had experiences in the fire service where we worked at one time or another for a screamer. And you don't want that. Obviously, you, you, you want a calm incident commander. It doesn't mean you have to be calm. A certain amount of acting is called for. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Just about everyone in the fire service will, at some time, have the chance to be an incident commander for a few minutes at least. Then the battalion chief or another chief officer arrives and takes over for you. Whether you're a firefighter in a small department and you end up in that position, or you want to promote to chief officer, Today's guest has some tips for you. Tom Dunn will be giving his class on thinking like an incident commander at FDIC 2021, and he's here to preview that class for us. Tom is a retired deputy chief with 33 years at the FDNY. He's been the incident commander at hundreds of fires and other emergencies in New York City. Tom currently gives seminars under his brand, Third Alarm Fire Training. And Tom Dunn joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks again for the invite. It's great to have you. What we're talking about today is a situation where a firefighter, a captain, or another company officer has to take charge for an extended period at a scene. Do you feel like most people are ready to step up to that right now? It depends on the individual and his background. I went through all the ranks in the New York City Fire Department, did 33 years, and like most departments, you start at the bottom as a firefighter, and then you progressively, if you pursue promotion, you go from firefighter to lieutenant to captain to battalion chief, and my eventual rank was deputy chief. And quite honestly, uh, I tell people that I probably was not ready for any of the promotions that I got when they came along. To some extent, I had to learn and grow into the positions as, as I got promoted. And uh, it was a learning process that involved some stressful moments and uh, the support of a lot of good firefighters who, who helped me through it. And at the same time, learning from mistakes. You know, you're gonna make mistakes uh, in, in fire service at whatever rank you're at. And I think the key is First, to realize that that is part of the learning process that's only human. And the second thing is to learn to move on from those mistakes. And every mistake I made was kind of seared into my mind and made me that much better of a firefighter or a company officer or a chief. And uh, I, I think probably most people are, are, are not as prepared as they'd like to be when a promotion comes along. Now, everybody gets to be an IC for a couple of minutes until the real IC, the chief officer, shows up. But how likely is it that your average engineer, firefighter, chauffeur is going to have to take charge of a scene 
because there's no one else there. It really depends on the department and the area. In a large city like New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, they have a lot of resources. And it's likely, especially in New York City, that you're going to have a battalion chief on scene within minutes of the first arriving engine. The deputy chief will eventually show up and assume command after the battalion chief has been there. And that might in some cases take you know 15 or 20 minutes in a in a, a crowded city like new york but in a rural area or a suburban area it's very conceivable that the first due engine officer or first due truck officer or conceivably even in a volunteer department that the the senior firefighter at least for a short while may have to step up and basically function as the incident commander because there is no officer, there's no um, chief officer on scene. And uh, that was kind of the, the purpose, part of the purpose of why I put together my course, Think Like an Incident Commander. I've been giving it for a number of years and refining it and changing it from year to year. But essentially, while it's a course that's, I think, useful for people who are or plan to be chiefs, it's geared for any level in the fire service because a company officer, as you pointed out, very often is the first person at the scene and will act as an incident commander for some period of time. Each individual firefighter is responsible for himself and occasionally will have to make some pretty key decisions that will affect him and the people around him. So I think that the skill and the the art really of thinking like an incident commander is something that probably is beneficial to to every uh, every person in the fire service. You break down the actions that they're going to need to take into five areas. I saw this and it surprised me because it's more of a philosophical breakdown than a utility breakdown. In other words, a lot of people thinking they're going to be the IC are thinking, all right, I'll have to use the radio, I'll have to keep track of my people, I'll have to know who's where, who's coming in, what the resources are. But you don't really talk about that in your five areas. So let's look at them briefly. Maybe you can describe them. Number one is the willingness to accept the responsibility. Yeah, that, that's that's huge. That expands as you go further up the uh, bureaucracy of the fire service. Uh, when you start out as a firefighter, you're largely responsible for yourself. I mean, you will make decisions that will affect people around you. For example, if you make a bad decision, and let's say take a window at the wrong time, you could really create some hazards and problems for the firefighters who are working with you. But certainly the big jump is when you become a company officer. Now now you're no longer really just responsible for yourself. You, you are assigned a few people, maybe as few as two or three in a small department, or maybe five typically in the New York City Fire Department. But again, you're, you're in a position where you're setting as the first arriving officer in most cases, you're setting the initial strategy. You're deciding probably before the chief even gets there whether it's safe to get into this building, considering all the things you consider in in a safety breakdown, like the time of night, the resources, the weather, the construction of the building. So your, your level of responsibility has expanded greatly. And obviously, when you become a battalion chief or a deputy chief, you're, you're supervising. In the case of a New York City Fire Department deputy chief, you could very easily be supervising 150, 160 people at a large operation. 
So you, you bear an awesome responsibility. If you make a bad mistake, you have the potential to hurt or even kill uh, a number of people. And, and I tell people, um, one thing you have to learn, uh, regardless of where you are, what rank you are in the fire service, you have to be comfortable with what I always refer to as uh, being able to pull the trigger, uh, which could be a decision simply as, well, given the condition of the building and the level of the fire, I'm making an early decision to pull the trigger and not commit my people inside this building. We're going to go from an outside operation uh, from the get-go. And, and this is not easy. You know, this this is something that especially people who are relatively new to firefighting or people who have not been company officers or chiefs or have been trained in that area, uh, it's difficult to reel in firefighters who tend to be somewhat aggressive and uh, want to attack a fire. But I, I say accepting the responsibility, whether you are a chief or you are a company officer or a firefighter, you have to be willing to be able to step up and say, hey, I'm the senior man or I'm the company officer or I'm the chief and I'm going to make these strategic decisions. That, that, that I think is a huge step. And it doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable with that step. It does take a while to get a comfort level in, in firefighting and fire command. All right. Number two is something that's probably more challenging than people think, which is the ability to envision the big picture. Now, if you're used to just being in charge of your rig where someone tells you what to do, I can imagine that it's hard to remember that now you're in charge of a scene that's going to involve more rigs arriving and more people wanting to know what you want them to do. Uh, exactly, Scott. We all start off at the bottom. That's one of the things I do like about the fire service. You, you start off as a brand new firefighter and you initially are very hands-on and tactically oriented. You first learn to be comfortable with tools or the nozzle or the hook or perhaps driving or whatever you're doing. And understandably, it makes you somewhat myopic because you're really concerned about performing your individual function at that fire, whether it's forcible entry or whether it's advancing or stretching of the hose line. And especially for new people, it's, it's a real challenge to be able to step back out of that sort of uh, encapsulated bubble, if you want to call it, and realize that there's an awful lot going on at the scene of a fire, that there are other apparatus that have to be considered as far as positioning, that there are many different individual operations going on at the same time that have to be coordinated, such as our timing the ventilation process, getting reserve people, getting a, a backup post line of position, getting a second source of water. And, and this, I think, is, is part of the, really the growth process as you emerge from being a new firefighter to being a company officer where you can envision more than that just initially what's going on around you. And certainly when you start making the, the, opposite, the jump to a position of incident commander, where now you're evaluating so many things at one time and you really are, are not functioning properly if you're concentrating too much on one aspect of the job. So getting the big picture is part of the growth process and part of the challenge of, of becoming a good incident commander. And certainly I think it, 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 it was a, um, 
uh, not an easy thing for me to learn. And I would suspect for most people, they go through a, uh, a similar learning process. The third one is plays right off of that one. It's the capacity for obtaining the necessary information. By that, I'm assuming that you also mean having some idea what that information would be. Right. I usually refer to that as, as getting the specifics. There is a lot going on at a fire. And again, it's, it's easy to get lost uh, when you're overwhelmed by the number of problems that you're facing or perhaps overwhelmed uh, by the distractions, the many distractions that can occur at, on the fire ground, or just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the the people that you're working with or are attempting to supervise. Everyone has their own techniques, things that work for them or perhaps do not work for them. There are people who utilize checklists in, in helping them to manage a fire. Personally, and again, this is a really a subjective decision or subjective preference, I was never and am not a checklist type of guy. I, I feel that to, to too rigidly adhere or to depend upon a checklist at a fire or an emergency operation kind of limits your intuitive ability to make decisions. We make decisions in different ways. Either they're sort of rational step-by-step or going with your gut, which is the intuitive decision. And studies have, have shown, and certainly my fire ground experience has shown that most often your intuitive decisions are the best decisions because they're based on previous knowledge. They're based on images of things you've experienced, operations you've been through in the past. So rather than uh, depending on, on a very long, uh, somewhat distracting checklist, when you're trying to organize yourself and your people at uh, a fire or emergency operation, I, I always lecture and tell people a simpler way is to go initially when you're at the scene with what I call the three W's. Who have you got? Where are they? And have you got water? If you can start off very briefly, very quickly, addressing those three W's, who you, who, who you have at the scene, where they're located, and whether or not you've established a water supply in that hose line. You've taken an enormous and safe first step in, in establishing a, a, a comfortable and safe strategy for putting out that fire. Again, getting to specifics, it, it really depends on the type of operation. I mean, we have one-room fires that we go through all the time that may have a minimal number of people, and then we have you know, incidents um, like plane crashes or say 9-11 attack where there's so much going on. It is a challenge. And um, I kind of agree with Thoreau who wrote something to the effect that keep it simple as possible. I like the quick three W's addressing that. It gets you going right away. We can expand that as time goes on when you have more of a handle on your people and whether or not you have the water and, and where they're located. Number four is probably obvious until you're actually on the scene, the ability to organize. And here I assume you mean to organize the resources that are incoming so that you can have a plan for them when they do arrive. Exactly. Uh, One of my routines always when I was responding into fires uh, in New York or to emergencies in New York City as a deputy chief was to organize in the car uh, as I was responding as much as possible. And I had the, the benefit really of having a firefighter driving me. 
So I was not distracted by having to drive the car, which unfortunately um, in a lot of departments, chiefs are driving themselves. This enabled me to record information, to look at the computer in the car as I was responding and get a specific list of exactly who's coming in, what, what units are coming in, getting as much information about the building, let's say, that we're responding to. Is there any specific structural aspects of that building that I should know about? And for me, the key was, especially since we had a very large response, uh, typically in New York City, the initial uh, first alarm response for a structural fire would be four engines, two ladder companies, a squad, perhaps a rescue, two battalion chiefs, and myself, the deputy chief. That's a lot of people. And each unit has four or five people. So right away, you're, you're dealing with maybe 60 or 70 people, first alarm assignment. And I found that to avoid getting lost and feeling overwhelmed by trying to account for everybody, my key was to look at my first two battalion chiefs. I could determine right away where they were or where I wanted them to be. So let's say the first chief, I would meet him in the street, and then perhaps we have a little interchange of information, and I might assign him to the fire floor. Okay, and then the second battalion chief would come in, report them to me, and I most often would send him to the floor above unless we had an exposure problem. And I would work from there. So I wouldn't worry too much about where everybody was as soon as I got at the scene. I wanted to have a starting point that would simplify the organizing process. And I would set my battalion chiefs in their respective sectors. And then I would get back to them and say, like Division 7 in my case, or the uh, command to whatever battalion it was, at your convenience, let me know what units you're operating with. And then do the, sec the same thing with the 2nd Battalion Chief or whatever other sector commanders I had. So it was really a process of breaking down the information step by step and again, simplifying it as much as possible. I found that it was an efficient way to do it. It was an easier way to do it and uh, a lot less stressful for me as, as the incident commander. And the fifth and final one, I think it's probably the single hardest one for somebody who isn't normally an IC, the ability to calm a stressful situation. This one, I think, involves a little acting, because anybody who's not normally an IC and suddenly realizes that they're in charge is going to be keyed up. They're going to have the adrenaline flowing, but they can't let their voice get higher on the radio and they can't show that excitement. So I assume that this involves a little bit of acting. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I, I, I do believe in that. As I said earlier in our conversation, I had to grow into each of my promotions, which was a difficult, at times, a painful process. It took a while to get comfortable. Being an instant commander is a, a very stressful position to be in, whether you're functioning as the senior firefighter or the company officer on scene or the, the actual chief on scene, you're going to be under the gun. You're going to be making some very key, very important decisions very quickly, most cases with, without sufficient information or at least as much information as you'd, you'd like to have. But again, the person who's stepping up, who's accepting responsibility, who's going through this whole process of assuming command and organizing an operation has to be able to be the person who steps up and sets the tone for that operation. 
And the quickest and easiest way to do that is by how you conduct yourself. Body language, your tone of voice, your, your whole demeanor will set the tone for the entire operation. Most of us have had experiences in the fire service where we worked at one time or another for a screamer, someone who very easily would get rattled at a fire and you knew right away from their tone of their voice or their screaming or yelling or whatever that they were projecting a sense of being upset. And you don't want that. Obviously, you, you, you want a calm incident commander. It doesn't mean you have to be calm. All right, you're, you're exactly right. I do point out that a certain amount of acting is called for. Certainly, when I initially became an incident commander, I had the opportunity to work with and for some, some excellent, excellent chiefs in New York City Fire Department. And I, I would look at their demeanor when I was a firefighter and try to learn from each one, just to see how they communicated, how they conducted themselves under stress. And even though I didn't always feel calm and control, the feedback I always got from, from the people who worked with me and the people who worked for me was that I seemed to be calm as a cucumber. And, and I tell them in all honesty, well, to some extent it was my DNA or my demeanor, but to some extent too, it was an act. There were many instances, uh, even as a well-experienced deputy chief with over 30 years on the job, where I would have a, a very difficult fire situation with May days or people being, being, you know, taken out as victims, an awful lot going on at the same time. And I really, even as an, uh, an experienced incident commander, had to overcome the nervousness, had to take a deep breath, had to calm down and kind of just project, all right, I know things are hitting the fan here. I know things are not going entirely too well and we have an enormous number of problems but let's take a deep breath let me just communicate let's get a starting point let me try to project some calm even though you know my blood pressure might be going through the roof uh, the person who's running the fire the person who's the supervisor the person who's setting the tone is myself and i have to do everything possible to not only calm myself down but more importantly to project a sense of calm supervision uh, of that operation because that's going to be picked up by everybody on the scene. Lots of good advice there, Tom Dunn. Thanks for joining me on Code 3 today. Scott, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And there's more information about Thinking Like an IC as well as Tom's book on our website at code3podcast.com slash thinklikeanic. That's all one word, Think Like an IC. So check it out. If you know someone who could use Tom's tips on thinking like an incident commander, tell them about this episode. It might give them some ideas. And it'll help get more people listening, which I always appreciate. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.